Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's stand. Let's stand for a second. Just work it out a little bit because I got to get ready and you got to get ready. We're going to be in Galatians chapter six. So as you as you're standing and stretching, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and open to Galatians chapter six. Take a couple deep breaths. There we go. Twist it out. Okay, there we go. All right. That was helpful. That was helpful. Um, we're, uh, we're week 13 uh, in our series, and uh, we're coming to the end. We're coming to the end. We will f- we'll do the first 10, chapter, or 10 verses of Galatians 6 this morning, and then we'll wrap. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how far we get today. We'll see how far we get today. Uh, we'll wrap uh, chapter 6 next week, and then we're going to take uh, a Sunday just to reflect and share together as a church family uh, what this series has uh, meant has meant for us on the last uh, Sunday uh, of the series. And then in September, we're going to start something new. So uh, Galatians 6, 1 to 10, I've entitled uh, the message, Grace Walks. Grace walks itself out into our lives. It's not just a theology. It walks itself out into our lives, our actual real lives in ways of transformation. We've uh, been talking about this the last uh, couple of weeks as we've been in chapters five and six. And I want to keep reminding us of this in terms of how Paul has written the letter to the churches in Galatia. Chapters one to four is intensely theological, uh, Paul building his case for what freedom in Christ actually is and what it means so that we have a foundation for grace and freedom in our lives. Chapters one through four, the purpose would be this, so that the Galatian churches, so that you and I, so that we would believe rightly about the gospel of grace. It's theological. It's about belief about who Jesus is and what he came to give us in the new covenant of grace and freedom. And then the transition in chapters five and six, Paul begins to teach on the practical theology of grace. Grace walks itself out into our lives. Um, He understands and knows that a true authentic theology of grace will be lived out into our lives. And so the purpose of the last few chapters is that the Galatian churches, you and I, us, would live rightly in the gospel of grace. We have to believe rightly, and that that empowers us to live rightly in the gospel of grace. And when you look at Paul's letters, which is the majority of the New Testament, it's always this way with Paul. It always begins with believing rightly in theology, and then it works itself into a practical theology. He wants people to understand and have a proper foundation for what freedom and an identity in Christ means. And then when you understand that, then that is how that transforms and leads us into our lives. Um, In his letters, it's this way. And I learned this in seminary. I want to share it with you. In Paul's letters, he always begins in the Greek. uh, The New Testament is written in the ancient Greek. The translators, scholars have translated, obviously, uh, to us in English. Paul begins his letters with the indicative mood of grammar. And the indicative mood of grammar is simply this. I am going to state what is true. That's the indicative mood. I'm going I'm to give you a truth to understand and believe and grab onto. And it's this in Galatians. This is who God is. This is who Jesus is. This is what he has come to give you. This is who you are in him. We just sang the song. I am who you say I am. 
am. That is believing rightly about the gospel of grace, the indicative mood. And then and only then will Paul then transition in his letters to what's known as the imperative mood of grammar, which is state and action or an exhortation. Because this is true, therefore you are enabled and empowered to live this way. And when you read and study the Pauline epistles, it's always this way in every single Letter And so after four chapters of the indicative, Galatians 1 to 4, Paul moves to imperatives in chapters 5 and 6. And it's kind of rapid fire today, 10, 10 verses. He, he doesn't have fancy like kind of preacher transition sentences. It's just, it's pretty rapid fire, imperatives, exhortation to the body of Christ. Here's where we have to be careful and wise Uh, when we read these imperatives, that we don't read the imperatives in chapters five and six and forget everything that Paul has just taught us in chapters one through four. We can't read the imperatives of chapter five and send it back to requirements and checking boxes and legalism and following rules and law. Let's not forget for four chapters, Paul has helped us understand and have a foundation of theology. It is simply this, the gospel is Jesus plus Nothing, faith alone, Jesus alone, by grace alone. And because that's true, now here is the way as you follow Jesus. Uh, We don't get to imperatives in chapters five and six and change Jesus plus nothing to Jesus plus something. Are you with me right now? We have to have a foundation of freedom. It's, it's Jesus plus nothing. And that truth, the imperatives now empower, enable our lives to be transformed in the way of Jesus. So we wanna read these imperatives today this way. Grace empowers our lives forward by transformation. Grace doesn't add requirements. Hear this. Grace doesn't add requirements. Grace empowers you to be transformed as you follow Jesus. Here were the exhortations from last week, the end of chapter five. He, he, he exhorts the believers, keep in step with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, be filled of the Spirit. And we learned last week, Spirit-filled people, we are led away from legalism, we're led away from the law, and we're led away from gratifying and indulging Uh, the battle therein with our flesh. We're led away from those things. Spirit-led people see the fruit of the Spirit begin to manifest in their lives as we abide in Christ, as as we rest in the foundation of a theology of grace and freedom. Here is, here is the, Here's the overview. Here's a 30,000 foot overview of the first 10 verses of chapter six today. Today, Paul will say this, spirit-filled people, here's what they do. They love well and they care well and they serve well. That's what spirit-filled people do. People who are following Jesus and full of the spirit, they love well, they care well, and they serve well. Even people, hear this, even people who are stumbling and struggling and making mistakes in their lives. Even those people, loving well, caring well, serving well. Let's read these first five verses together. We'll see if we get past uh, the first five verses today. 
Okay. Galatians chapter six, brothers and sisters, verse one, brothers and sisters, if someone, if anyone is caught in a transgression, right, they've made a mistake, right, they have indulged the flesh, they have sinned, there is a transgression. If anyone, if, if someone, if you, I, any of us is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, you who are being led by the spirit, you who are keeping in step with the Spirit, should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Verse two, carry rapid fire exhortations imperatives. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride or boast in himself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. First five verses of chapter six. Let's unpack these verses together. I think what Paul is simply saying to us here is this. Those whose lives have been impacted and changed by Jesus are called to be a part of impacting and changing the lives of people around them. Amen? That we get the privilege of helping people toward transformation. And he simply says this. When someone stumbles along the way, it's pretty simple. Just help the person up gently toward restoration. Because this is the way of Jesus, helping people, restoring people. Verse one, the best of men, the best of women, uh, they slip up. Right, we, we understand that. No, no one is perfect. Raise your hand if you're perfect in the room. Raise your hand if you've never made a mistake. Raise your hand if you've never slipped up. Raise your hand if you've never said a harsh thing to someone. Raise your hand, right? No one is perfect other than Jesus the Christ himself. We get that, we understand that. I don't have to convince you of that. People problems will arise in any Christian community, amen? Because why? Because we're people, that's why. We will arise in any Christian community. Paul talks about transgression in verse one. The Greek word for that word literally means slip up or a false step, right? They slip up, they have a false step, they, they make a mistake. Um, I, um, I love to climb 14ers. Uh, my friend Andrew West, by the way, it's his birthday today. He's 41 years old today. Um, he and I are leaving after church and we're gonna climb Pyramid Peak uh, tomorrow. I'm excited about that. Um, but we, we mainly hike 14ers. I'm gonna make an analogy of an actual mountain climber that have to like actually wear harnesses and ropes. Um, but mountain climbers, when you're like, actually this is like Hans Aschinger, like he's a mountain climber, right? Um, they, when they're on ice or when they're on really steep slopes, they rope into each other. Why do they do that? Because if one person falls, the others are there to keep him, her from falling because they're roped together. You guys with me right now? They, they help each other when one person 
falls or when they slip. Um, famous verse. Uh, we hear this verse in sermons and maybe weddings. Uh, perhaps uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Uh, Two are better than one. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. And when he falls, has not another to lift him up. I think that was a beautiful part of Luke's testimony. That there was a season of his life when he would say, I didn't have anyone to lift me up and I was slipping. But to invest in a community and to have lots of people there to help lift up has been life giving. I think what Paul is saying in Galatians 6, 1 to 5 is, is really, really similar to Ecclesiastes 4. All of us are going to struggle. Just help each other up. The Spirit, walking by the Spirit, being led of the Spirit leads to gentle restoration. And churches and Christians, we have, we have much to repent for around when people slip up. And let me tell you uh, what happens when our flesh gets in the way or when the law gets in the way is that we don't lead people to a gentle restoration. It leads people to punishment and guilt and shame. The spirit of grace, when someone falls, the spirit of grace is gentleness, which is a fruit of the spirit at the end of Galatians chapter five. But the law, a law-oriented, a legalistic, rule-oriented, checking box kind of culture, a, a flesh battling our flesh, indulging our flesh will lead to judgment and finger pointing when people slip up. And some of us in the room have been on the receiving end of that kind of experience. And it's not a good experience. Paul says here, when this happens, simply help your brother or your sister up. This is a very real temptation that I wanna share with you. A very real temptation of those who are really seeking to live by the Spirit is that they are apt to judge the slip-ups of others instead of restoring the slip-ups gently. It's a real temptation, and it's why Paul says in verse two, or verse one, watch, watch yourself, or you also may be tempted to do. Be, be careful if you're finger-pointing Someone in the community who slips up, be careful because it may not be too long until you're in the exact same space and you need somebody to help you up. So be careful, be careful. Paul says when a brother or sister slips up, just simply help them, restore them. The word for restore um, is used for um, executing repair, like a, a visual analogy of restore gently, would be an illustration would be the work of a surgeon setting a broken limb. When you do uh, some background of the actual Greek word that's translated restore, what we find, what I found was the whole atmosphere of the word gently restore lays the stress not on punishment, but on a cure, on healing, helping people toward healing when they slip up. Loved people, Love people, right? Restored people, restore people. Forgiven people are empowered to forgive 
people. And they understand, we understand that I'm in a battle with my own flesh. I understand that I too could slip again as well. And that's why Paul says, keep watch on yourself. Here's my paraphrase of verse one. Uh, Don't get the big head when somebody falls. Because there will be a day when you need someone to gently restore you to your feet as well. It's my paraphrase. Here's, here's our, our vision, our hope, our prayer of the kind of culture uh, that I pray and hope that we're leading, that we're inviting you to be a part of culture at Two Rivers Church. Um, we, we know that we are loved of God. We know and believe that we are the beloved of God. I am who you say I am. We believe that. We're standing on that. We're resting in that. We're finding strength in that. And we know and understand that the real change agent for real transformation isn't the law, it's the grace of Jesus. We know that grace is what actually enables and empowers real life transformation. And we also know we're not perfect, we're in process, we're we're on a journey together. There's no perfect people. And so... The vision would be a place of authenticity for us. We think about life groups and life on life and sharing and things that Luke just invited us to consider that we can talk freely with each other. We can confess freely with each other and we can share when we are struggling because I believe and know the culture of grace at Two Rivers, the community will be gracious. They will love me and they will help me back up on my feet without condemnation and judgment because we're, we're believing in the gospel of grace, and we're also watching ourselves. We're careful lest I too be tempted to slip up again as well. There's an authenticity in our community around these things. There's a, there's a servanthood mentality around these things that we bear one, another, bear one another's burdens. We help each other out. We're quick to help and serve and bear one another's burdens. It's what families do. It's what, it's what love does. This who Jesus is, and that's how he's transforming us. This is the law of Christ, which is what Paul says. Not the Mosaic law, but the law of Christ, the love of Christ to love and care and serve well. And the warning, uh, be careful that we don't think too highly of ourselves because that will disrupt a culture of grace. Paul rebukes conceit. In these five verses, he rebukes thinking too highly of yourself and he gives a recipe of how it can be avoided. And here's the recipe. This is really practically helpful. Um, Be careful that you don't compare yourself with others. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, comparison is the thief of joy, right? Would you guys agree with that? Comparison is the thief of joy. Joy, I think that's a true statement. And what that does, comparison, and we're comparing ourselves and we're giving each other grades about how we're doing. Oh, that person's slipping up more than this person. I'm not, I'm, I'm not slipping up very much at all. I've been nice today and I have a, had a quiet time for five days in a row, right? Like when we do that sort of thing, we, we're not cultivating a culture of grace in those realities. It moves us to focus on what I'm doing and my own abilities and we grade ourselves against the performance of others, and then we go back to law. That's what law does. It disrupts a culture of authenticity and servanthood and helping each other up, restoring each other gently. Here's, here's what 
comparison does. It leads to one of two places. It leads to ego, I'm better than you, I'm more spiritual than you. Or it leads to shame. It leads to pride or it leads to shame. And by the way, pride and shame are both on the same spectrum because we're looking at ourselves in both. So pride says, ego says, I'm better than you. And shame says, I'm not as good as you. And I feel insecure in community because I'm not performing well enough to your standards. Um, Comparison, grading ourselves, hear me, this has no place in a culture of grace and freedom in Christ. A community of grace is a place where our focus isn't on ourselves, but on the gracious work of Jesus and the needs and the burdens of others. And that's why Paul says two times in these five verses, he talks about carrying burdens. But they're not the same, and that's what I want to point out. They're not the same. Two times in these first five verses, Paul speaks about bearing burdens, but they're distinct from each other. The first way he talks about bearing each other's burden, serving, caring, loving well in a community of faith is this. Love people, love people when they are down and they help carry the burdens of others. And it is a joy for us as a community of faith to carry each other's burdens. Amen? Has anyone in this room ever had someone in the faith community, a believer in Christ, help carry a burden, and it made a huge difference in your life. Raise your hand. Right? What a privilege for us to carry. I need you in my life, and you need me in your life, and you need the person in front of you and behind you and on the other side of the room from you because life is hard, and we need help, don't we? We need help. That's the first way we carry each other's burdens. You, don't, you can't help me carry my burden unless I do what? Tell you what my burden is, ask you to help me. So some of us gotta get over some pride over here to go, I got burdens, but I don't wanna bother anybody. I, 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 just, I, I don't wanna put that on people. Some of us really need help not carrying burdens. Some of us need help to ask for help, Amen. Because there's a lot of people in this room that are ever going, if you got a burden, I'll be there for you. I think this room is full of that kind of spirit-filled people. But some of us need to have a little bit more courage and trust in this culture of grace to go, I got burdens and I need help carrying it. Will you please help me? That's the first thing that Paul says in this passage. The second has to do with the burden that we carry ourselves. There's a burden that I carry. There's a burden that you help me carry and there's a distinction between, there's also part of that burden that I am responsible to carry myself. We have personal responsibility with our burdens to carry our own load. I have personal responsibility with my burdens and I need you to help me, but when you're coming to help me, I'm like, oh, okay, you got this. I'm walking away. No, Paul's saying, no, there's personal responsibility that each of us have to carry our own burdens. I would say it this way. We don't offload everything and carry nothing ourselves. And so what I wanna share with you, and we'll we'll close here. We'll have to get to um, verses six to uh, 10 next week. I wanna invite you to consider, this is something that I have learned from my own testimony and journey. This is a work that God has done in my life over the years. 
And I wanna juxtapose between when we think about carrying burdens, carrying each other's burdens, and then also carrying our own burdens, okay? This is what I want you to consider. Ministry of availability versus the ministry of too much responsibility, okay? Because um, ministry of availability would say, I'm available to love and help and lift your burdens, but I am not responsible, ultimately responsible for them, you are. So I wanna talk about three different ways we sometimes as Christians, we get a little unhealthy around carrying burdens, carrying our own burdens, carrying someone else's burdens. And if you feel like I'm stepping on your toes, just know I've been stepping on my toes all week around this, okay? So again, let's just have a conversation about this. The first would be this. This is an example of ministry of too much responsibility when we get codependent with someone else's burdens. And here's what I mean by that. I'm only okay if you're okay. And so I gotta make sure you're okay because I'm only okay if you're okay. That's kind of a, a, a really 30,000 foot definition of codependency. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take responsibility to carry all of your burdens and allow you, this can happen sometimes, allow you to manipulate me to do more than you're even willing to do yourself. Like I'm even gonna carry more than you're even willing to carry yourself and it's your burden. There's, and there's no shame here. I, I'm, there's no shame here if there's a struggle in codependency because if there's a codependency in a relationship, sometimes it's even hard to see. It's hard to understand to create some healthy boundaries around that. But let me say this to you. Allow this truth from Galatians chapter six to empower you to create some healthy boundaries if you're carrying too much of someone's burden even more than they're willing to carry themselves. Another way I see ministry of too much responsibility is around the idea of self-pity. And I am, I am the victim here, and it is your job to take care of me. It is your job to carry this for me because I am the victim here. And I'm not willing to do uh, the work around my own story, my own life, and so you must do the work for me. And when we do that, when we rescue someone in that way and carry it out for them, what we do is we actually enable them to stay in that unhealthy pattern of, of, um, of playing the victim and blaming and, and, and owning their own self-pity. We actually empower that unhealthy relational pattern. And so I would say when we live codependently and we enable people to stay in their self-pity and remain the victim, we believe wrongly that we are the rescuer. Right? Like, I am taking the responsibility to be the rescuer here. And let me tell you, there's one rescuer, and his name is Jesus the Christ. And what he has called us to do is join him in his work. But I am not the rescuer. Jesus is the rescuer. I wanna point you to the rescuer and I wanna help you carry your burdens, but I am not the rescuer. Uh, that's the other way that I, that I have seen ministry of too much responsibility get in the way of really healthy community and it's this idea of a Messiah complex, that I am the only way that they can get help. Listen, 
Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? Do you believe in the power of God? Do you believe that God has so many people and angels at his disposal? He can help in any way, at any time, in any situation. And I certainly feel joy-filled when I am a part of the work of God. I mean, to sit there and hear that God has used this church and my life and Luke's life is so humbling to hear and I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful. And so I wanna be of help, but I am not the rescuer. I, I remember being on Young Life staff um, and I was young and I had a Messiah complex. I was, I was out to rescue the world and every, every kid in high school, at Brentwood High School that didn't know Jesus, it was my job to make sure that they met Jesus or at least had a meaningful encounter with Jesus. And I can remember, this was a couple years before Lindsay and I were married. Uh, I can remember I was living with the family above their garage and the, the school was about a mile away and there was a soccer game happening. And I could hear the announcement of the soccer game. And I was exhausted. I was super driven. I, I had a lot of unhealthy stuff going on in my life. I was young and arrogant and I was the rescuer of the world. And this is literally what I thought that night. If I don't go to that soccer game, I might not meet a kid who doesn't know Jesus and then if I don't go and help that kid meet Jesus, that kid will never meet Jesus. That's crazy. That's what was in my mind. So guess what I did? I went to the soccer game. But I'm telling you, we gotta trust in the power of God to redeem, rescue any person, any situation. God is simply inviting us to be a part of it, a ministry of availability and not ministry of too much responsibility. And that's what I see Paul advocating for here in these verses, ministry of availability. And it's this, I'm willing and able to respond. I love you and I will help you, but I'm not responsible to carry all this for you. And when we live with healthy boundaries with people, remember, this is grace walk. This is grace walking itself out into our lives. When we live with these healthy boundaries that Paul is giving us in these verses with people and we understand that we're available but we're not responsible for people's lives, we will believe rightly that Jesus is the rescuer and we just point people to Jesus, amen? Paul says in these verses, carry each other's burdens and carry your own burden. Be gentle with each other. And let me also say this, be gentle with yourself. Some of you in this room are like, I can be tempted to be, and that is so hypercritical of myself. We talked about this last week. We go to self-abasement. We, 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 we don't make a mistake. We start believing we are a mistake. And so some of us in this room need to hear this passage and go, you need to be gentler with yourself when you make a mistake and allow the grace of Jesus to speak over your life. And let me say this, when you go to places of self-abasement and you're hypercritical with yourself, I said this last week, you are waging war on your soul. And that is not walking by the spirit. That is walking by the flesh. So let us walk by the Spirit. Let us carry each other's burdens. Let us carry our own burdens, my responsibility, and let us be gentle with each other and let us be gentle with ourselves. I got another 20 minutes of notes and you're gonna have to wait for that <laughs> next week. Let me pray. Worship team, you can come back up.
Lord, thank you for this practical, real teaching from your word today that grace will walk itself out into our lives as we live in community with each other. And it is clear, Lord Jesus, that you, by the authority of your word, you are calling us to serve and care and help well, even when someone is stumbling along the way. Lord, we want a culture of grace here. We want to trust in the exhortations and the imperatives that you have given us today because they are for our good and they are for our transformation and they are for the good and the transformation of this body. So I pray that we would have faith to receive what your word is teaching us today. We are reminded that your word is living and active, that your word is God-breathed, that it is profitable to us for teaching us and correcting us and training us up in righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.